Hello and welcome to part two of a podcast conversation on communicating with teens with Michelle Watton, psychologist at the Resilience Centre. I'm Lee Hatcher. In part one, we talked through some of the really interesting foundational issues about why is communicating with adolescents so often so hard and what doesn't work. Well now, let's talk about what does work and there's every reason for progress, even hope. Michelle, welcome back. Great to see you again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So refresh our memories briefly before we get to what works. What doesn't work? We looked at how teenagers are doing it tough. We looked at how parents are doing it tough. Adolescents have grown up with messages around mental health, that's, that's true, but they're still unsure of what's upsetting them. And that's because they do need an adult in their life to understand what they're going through and help communicate that back to them. And that's particularly difficult because what's often not known by adults in general is that the frontal lobe of their of an adolescent's brain is still developing until they're about 23, 25. Wow. That's for a girl and a little bit older for a male at like 25 to 27, which is why your car insurance is more expensive. <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> but, they, but the part of the brain, which is the frontal lobe that's still developing, is it gives the adolescent the ability to plan, to understand consequences. It's about impulse control. And so they're relying more on their emotion centre. So adolescents might look like they might be fully grown, like adults potentially, or maybe not, but they do need help. What definitely doesn't work is shutting down a stressed adolescent. And that is done by being critical of them and invalidating them. And if that happens, the teenager is going to get angry or shut down. And so when I, when I talk about being critical and invalidating R, it's things like, what's wrong with you? Or just get over it. It's not really that bad. You should feel happy. But that's not what the adolescents experience. And we discussed this earlier. We're probably doing that because we're pressed for time. Yes, absolutely. And our attention span is less and less today, I think. Absolutely, for sure. There are many demands placed on parents, and I understand because I'm one of them. And at the same time, adolescents still need us I mean I do wonder how as adults we can actually change what we're doing that impacts on that but the icing on the cake for the adolescents is then when the parent tries to defend their own position and then what you'll get back from that is adolescents saying you don't understand me yeah and there's a shutdown absolutely yeah so let's talk about what does work and it begins with a penetrating insight I'm sure most of us have heard a recognition that we have only one mouth but two ears. <laughs> That's a good line. Yes, I need, definitely need to practice that one myself. So do I, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> Recently I went and saw my GP and he mentioned the importance of listening out of nowhere. He said, Michelle, we just need to listen. He said it can take some of my patients up to five minutes to tell me their story and why they're at the appointment. But they always tell me, what's needed and I try not to interrupt them Hmm. and that's amazing because I was thinking to myself a patient's going to walk into that doctor's surgery and they're going to see the dynamic and think we're equal the doctor wants to hear what I have to say now that's an impressive doctor yes or parent yes exactly so there's a real art to listening of course but how do we do it well give us some tips and it sends I think way beyond parents and teens How do we listen? It sure does. And 
I think the basics of listening can be used for the parent-adolescent relationship, but it works for, for everybody. Yes. And so helping someone to feel loved and valued through taking the time to listen is a gift, like you said, you can give to everybody, a stranger on the street, your neighbour, family or work colleague, and the gift is free. We don't have to wait until we can afford it. I think this was really well summed up, this concept of how to express love and, and what it can do for our society. Jane Goodall, uh, who did a lot of work with chimps, she said, only if we understand can we care. Only if we care will we help. And only if we help shall we all be saved. So this idea suggests that we care for our adolescents and understand their plight and then they can then extend the graciousness to all and then we can all be saved. I look back on my parenting and I think I never realised that everything was so rushed and crushed Mm. that those kind of considerations, while I might have affirmed them and maybe sometimes stumbled into them, I think they get lost in the rush and crush. And you're right, it's it's understandable that it happens. We all do it. We have societal expectations to achieve particularly to achieve and then somehow that defines our self-worth but it is quite interesting how when we look back I'd like another go please yeah yeah yeah, and I think think that that. almost daily of myself I'm doing the same thing and yet it's difficult to change there's a great quote by a guy called Stephen Covey and he actually really sums up listening well He says, most people don't listen with the intent to understand. I see this a lot. They listen with the intent to reply. Mm. So what Stephen's asking us is to stop and listen, not with what's going on in our own head, but really to focus on what the other person is saying without judgment, without thinking about how how does this relate to me. Or how to fix it. Exactly. Yeah. It's saying, let's get the core of me to touch the core of my child and really listen to them and see the joy in, in that's going on for them. If people miss Conversation 1, go back and listen to the story about the psychoanalyst. Absolutely. In that, in that core. <laughs> it's gold. So there's some tips on how to listen better. What are some of the things that parents will need to understand about their teens to enable them to listen better? Oh, I love this. Emotions... Don't just come along for the ride and jump out in front of us for no reasons. Emotions need to be listened to. They give us information about the situation that we're in and then they prepare us for action. So in other words, if we're feeling depressed, then the longer we ignore that feeling and not doing anything about us, then the longer we're going to have that emotional experience. So an example being if I'm depressed and and I'm in a toxic relationship, Uh, and and that's happening to an adolescent, whether they're being bullied or romantic relationships not going well, if they don't stop and tune in to what they're feeling, then they won't get out of that relationship. And how are they meant to understand that if the connection with their adults around them isn't strong? They will keep that all inside and then get in trouble for not making good choices. Yeah. If I remember back to the best of times with my parents... And it's never perfect. It's when I knew I still had their love and acceptance, despite how I behaved and despite their reactions to how I behaved as well. And how beautiful was that? What did that feel like? Well, it gave me a sense of confidence Mm. and worth and that I had a place in the world. 
And that's huge. That's really helped me as an adult. Too. Yes, and, that's and, and a lot of the pressures I face as an adult as well. Mm. If we can spend a little bit more time on our young person's side of the coin and try and actually get them to describe what it's like and say they're on the tail's end of the coin and we're on the head side, I mean, how do we know what their side of the coin looks like if we just assume it's the same as ours? Yeah. When scientific research gets down to the bottom of a nurturing and adult relationship that's healthy, it's the ones who are enjoying life with the adolescent and reflecting back positives that they see that the adolescent's doing. They notice when the adolescent's trying hard or has made positive choices, yes. despite uh, what they did five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's as basic as loving others as you would like to be loved yourself children will play the role you set for them really so if you're saying to them you're always late you always make a mistake you've got such a poor memory then they will play the role that you set for them yeah so what role do you really want self-fulfilling yeah. we spoke in our first podcast conversation about the particular challenges and needs as well in the midst of something like the covid pandemic any kind of upheaval what are some of the things that do work in that kind of world of enormous upheaval mm. in the life of a, a teen, also parent. Yeah, uh, I feel like in our country, in Australia, that we haven't seen a lot of adversity in a long time. And it's hard then to actually compare. But I guess we did see roughly a 30% increase of adolescent mental health presentations to hospital emergency departments. That wasn't just a political statement, it was truth. And from that experience, what we saw is that giving our adolescents outlets away from home to maintain a balanced life is very important. So this can include various types of activities or social outlets. But we saw how pertinent social relationships and friendships were to teenagers' wellbeing. Yes. And this is a warning, it really is, because to ensure our young people are healthy and that they become healthy adults, they need more in their lives than just school, tutoring. Achievement. And even, even achievement in sporting or achievement in playing a musical instrument. Yes, yeah. There's a difference between doing and being. And chilling. We chill. <laughs> they know how to chill. Without denying the extent of the kind of upheaval we've experienced and its consequences, it's also been a time when there's been heaps of resilience. Mm, it's beautiful. We've got to say that. In a podcast, oh, yeah, but <laughs> it's true. It's true. It is. Yeah. No, it is. You're absolutely right. And I love this because, again, it, I hope it helps our families out there to have hope. What we've seen is that parents and adolescents can adjust to very difficult circumstances if they're forced. And I need to remember this too. So, I guess what excites me is that I think. Imagine what the possibilities are, what can be achieved if parents, teachers, caregivers validate, validate our teens and follow through with that consistently, just turning the dial up a little bit consistently. It's exciting to think. Learn those lessons. <laughs> Here's a question about life before a kid hits their teens. Michelle, what should I as a parent know or do, especially about communication? so I can prepare myself and my child for adolescenthood. How am I going to operate early? 
That's such a good question. And that question's probably been asked in various different ways on various topics for years. And I was thinking about this the other day and I thought to myself, put the books away. Mm. Put the books away. It's not about getting things perfectly. It's about sitting on your floor with your child and playing Uno. It's <laughs> about sharing with them and delighting. It's about camping outside in your tent or laughing with a bowl of popcorn over TV. I think if we get those basics right, which is through love, then anything else on top of that will work. Or embracing driving lessons, which are a necessity. But I always <laughs> thought that that was one of the, yeah. the best yep. and perhaps the last real time of connection with our kids. That's beautiful. We really embrace that. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's massive because it's patience, it's trust. You're putting the adolescent's life in their hands. Yes. I've heard parents and adolescents say this over and over that the communication is really good in the car and they don't have to look at each other. <laughs> and they're stuck there. They're forced, <laughs> That's right. right? Yeah. 100 hours or so. <laughs> yeah. But there is actually things you can do. Children watch what you're doing. They copy your behaviour. Mm. And so we've got until about when the child's from zero to 12 to teach them about kindness, about love, about prejudice, about patience over aggression, about thoughtful decision-making and not being impulsive. This is really important, modelling healthy ways to manage and process emotions. So if you're going to open a book at all, it's not about how to parent your child well, it's about what can I do as a parent myself to resource myself so that I'm actually providing my child with healthy ways of coping and then modelling that. We also need to say sorry when we've done something wrong, apologising for when we've yelled. We will stuff up and because we're human and that's okay. It's about the repair. What do you say afterwards? How can you teach that you weren't happy with what you did and, and you're sorry for that and ask for forgiveness? To reduce the stress on ourselves, because I really think that being a good parent is about improving the self. It's important for then to us to take regular time out for ourselves and do activities like yoga class or Wednesday night dinner with old school friends because our children will watch that, especially the girls. They'll watch that and they'll see their mum taking out time and they will be a more of a healthy mother and healthy adult at the same time. And if they learn to say sorry and the value of saying sorry mm. and what it feels like to receive that, I actually think that can be one of the most valuable lessons and deepest character traits that a kid can take into our life. Yeah, that's really powerful because they understand and it's to own up and, and say I've done the wrong thing. And that is okay. I can keep trying. I guess the, the third thing is, again, to go back to basics. A child just needs a safe place where they can be without ridicule or judgment so that then when they do reach their teenage years, the child will already have a strong, trusting foundation to return to. I'll often say to parents, they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. What we do need to give them is a soft landing. We don't own our children. Now that's it's, interesting. Yeah. It's a crazy concept, I know. When our adolescents are babies and their children, they do rely on us and we are teaching them a lot. We teach them about our culture and our values and our moral systems, religious systems. But as they get older, we fail to let go. 
I think that causes problems within itself because we can't then accept the adolescent for who they are. And then what that ends up in is a lot of arguments, but we don't own them. We're only one or two people in their lives. We love them a lot and we care about them a lot, but we don't own them. And we need to let them have their own style, their own way of being, their own thoughts, their own view on the world, even if it differs from ours. And we need to accept that. And even when they make mistakes about it. Absolutely. Because what it all comes down to is love. Can I just tell you one story, Lee, just to understand and clarify that point? I've had a family that I've been seeing for a couple of years and, and the girl's now in year 12 and she's such a beautiful, strong character. And out of all the difficulty that she's been having, she just wants her parents to love her. And I know that the parents really want to love her. What she was doing was she was trying to obtain that validation that she was wanting to get from mum and dad through other ways. And that was risk-taking behaviours on many different fronts. But what, again, she was looking for was a love from her family. What was worse is that when she was actually telling the truth, her dad didn't believe her. Where they were getting tripped up is that there was two rights in this story. We just think there can be one, but there can be more than one right. The child or adolescent was right and so was the dad. That was where the problem lied because dad couldn't let go of his right for the adolescent girl to have her right and it was pushing them apart and causing my beautiful year 12 girl to be in dangerous situations. The turning point came and it was such a beautiful realisation, Dad was teary, when he realised that there could be two rights. I've never heard anyone say that before. Yeah. Because we all think there's only one person in this who's right. That is an amazing insight. And it can be quite powerful and it's, sure. it's so easy to forget. Once Dad realised that he could always still be right, and that's okay, he came from a history where his father played a very important role in the family and he was directive in the way that he parented and that created safety in his family and I know how much his father loved his daughter and he couldn't let that go because that's all he could see but then when he realised that it was okay that he was still doing what he needed and that was very important to him then he could actually tune in to his daughter and then that changed everything. So the moral of this story as well is that We all have our blind spots as parents and and adults. We all have our own stories, which can often get in the way. And that maybe some of the problem behaviours that we see in our young people are actually a reflection of the stuff that we're dealing with and, in essence, not listening. And we can learn new stuff too. Absolutely. Which is what these conversations have been all about. Absolutely. Put those parenting (laughs) books away and pick up some self-help books. Michelle, I've loved both of these chats with you. You're so wise. You've got so much experience and so many insights. Thank you so much indeed. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been listening to another podcast from The Resilience Centre. I'm Lee Hatcher. Head to the website for lots of other podcasts and so many great resources. www.theresiliencecentre.com.au